When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If I felt like there was an abundance of other shows that did interviews well the way I like them, I wouldn't do Talk Easy. How many shows do you listen to and you go, Jesus, they just said three interesting things. Ask about one of them. Welcome back to Working. I'm June Thomas. And I'm Cameron Drews. Cameron? Yes. It's <laughs> our it's good grief. As our producer, you're always in our Zoom recordings, but you usually mute your microphone and turn off your video once we hosts start talking. But not today, because this week you were in the host chair. Who did you talk with? Whose voice did we hear at the top of the show? I know. I'm, I'm coming out from behind the curtain again. <laughs> uh, the voice we heard at the top of the show belongs to Sam Fragoso. He's the host of the podcast Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. Okay. And why did you want to talk with him? So for a long time, I've wanted to interview someone about interviewing. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's for two reasons. Number one is very selfish. Interviewing is a skill that I really want to work on and practice. So I wanted to create a situation where someone was forced to educate me for free. (laughs) So important. Smart. But, But the second reason is that I'm a huge fan of the on mic interview As an art form, I think when it's done well, you can learn a lot about interesting people, about artists, about politicians. And in some cases, when those interviews are really, really good, I feel like I'm learning about myself a little bit, too. So I've been on the lookout for someone who's doing interviews really well nowadays so that I could book them on the show. And I came across Sam's podcast and it kind of blew me away. It's really good. So... In your opinion, as uh, they used to say on The Good Wife, what makes Sam and Talk Easy so special? Is it the guests? Is it something about the way Sam leads the conversations? It's both simultaneously. The guests are a big part of it. That's one of the first things you'll notice when you look up the show. Sam books huge A-list guests, even though Sam himself is not a celebrity. And I'm pointing that out because a lot of interview podcasts are hosted by celebrities, which makes sense. Like it's a way to guarantee a big audience and you're able to book those A-list guests because your celebrity hosts can call up their friends and book them on the show. Like that makes sense. But Sam is not a celebrity. He's just a smart thoughtful person who is really, really good at interviewing. And I think that's why he's been able to book these great guests. He's started to have a bit of a reputation. And when you listen to the show, you can tell that the guests are kind of excited to talk to him. Um, You can tell they're comfortable in -hmm. his presence and they're willing to open up and be honest with him. So that's why I wanted to talk to him. I think he's doing like... Sorry to the other interview podcasts, but I think he's doing 
a better job than a lot of his peers who are older and more experienced than him. And I, I just want to just take a moment just to note that obviously present company accepted, right? You're, you're exempting of your course. own host. Yes, absolutely. Yes, of oh. course. Oh, naturally. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Will our Slate Plus subscribers get a little extra today? They will. In our Slate Plus segment, I asked Sam to tell me about the producers of Talk Easy ah. and what they bring to the show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> As a producer, I was like, let's give some credit to the, yeah. So the people he, who do it, the work, go ahead, you can say it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he does give them a lot of credit and he has some interesting things to say in that segment about collaboration and handing over jobs to other people mm. that you can trust them with. Uh, I also asked Sam about these photo shoots he does with his guests that I think are are really delightful. And uh, so he told me about that too. Amazing. Well, Slate Plus members will hear that extra slice of the conversation at the end of the show. And San Fragoso superfans, you need to hear that. And if you're not a Slate Plus member, it's very easy to join. You'll get exclusive members-only segments, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, you will never hit a paywall on the Slate site, and you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. All right, now let's listen in on Cameron's conversation with podcast host and interviewer extraordinaire, Sam Fragoso. Sam Fragoso. Welcome to Working. Hi. How are you doing? Not too bad. We are in person right now, which uh-huh. is rare for a working interview. Is it? It is. We usually talk to our guests remotely. Mm-hmm. I know that you tend to talk to your guests in person. I do. Yeah. And, and you take great pains to do that. You have <laughs> flown to New York to interview someone. Tell I me have. what you can get with an in-person interview that you cannot over Zoom or something. Okay. So I think... There are some people that can totally do a Zoom interview. Mm -hmm. Usually people that are okay or comfortable with technology. Mm. If they're like, I need help with the MacBook. Yeah. It's just a hard place to start an interview. Because then I have to spend the first 10 minutes being like, this is where you press the button. And also, we have usually sent them mics. So that I'm like walking them through a Scarlet Solo sure setup and it's so dumb yeah and by the time we get started they're like i want this to be over yeah and there's some humiliation that happens where people are like i'm embarrassed that i'm not good at the technology Mm -hmm. so i don't like doing any of that yeah so i prefer it in person i mean also you just can't read body language as well it's it's, it's harder to read through zoom yeah And, and there's just there's things you pick up right when you walk in, that I like to know. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you can pick up on right away in an in-person guest? I I pick up um, how polite they are to my team. Uh Uh-huh. I notice, I'm like, oh, okay, like, they'll ask them their name. Yeah. Or or they won't. You know, do they ask for, like, eight different drinks? Yeah. (laughs) Do you have eight different drinks in your studio? Yeah, whatever they need. You do? I mean, we'll go get it. Okay. Our producer, Caroline Reebok, or um, our associate producer, Caitlin Dryden, they yeah. will go get whatever. 
newfangled coffee you need, yeah, we will go do it. I also noticed, like, I don't know, posture, yeah, energy coming in. I spend the first few minutes trying to like hold whatever they're going through that day, and just try yeah. to remove, you know, all the shit that we come into rooms with. Yeah, I want to try to hold that and get rid of it, and then try to settle us in to the conversation. And how do you do that when you notice some of the like <laughs> off-putting things that you're looking for? Say they're a little short with your staff, or mm-hmm. you're just not getting a, a friendly aura <laughs> from them. I I am pretty good at getting us to the place we need to get to. Usually, I'll make dumb jokes, mm-hmm. or I'll talk about something in my life briefly. Because mm-hmm. it's not something I want to do on the show. You know, we're not a show where, to his credit, like Mark Marin, mm-hmm. people sign up for Marin to hear about, you know, his cats and coffee. Uh-huh. I think that's nice. I just am not that interested in sharing that part of my life. I, I don't think it's that interesting. I want to stay on this topic of creating a, a calming atmosphere sort of with the guest, this is something that I think listeners recognize right away. The vibe of the show is calm, and guests admit to being calm. I want to read a, <laughs> a tweet that Padma Lakshmi sent out recently. Oh, uh, she was okay. a guest, and she said, quote, amidst a sea of interviews for hashtag taste the nation, that's the project she's promoting, uh, the Talk Easy podcast was a standout. Sam Fragoso was able to both calm me down and start a deep and introspective conversation that was totally unexpected and completely welcome. I'm not going to take responsibility for her leaving Top Chef. <laughs> I was going to say, it was such an introspective interview that I she know. was like, I need to change my life. She went, <laughs> <laughs> that was very nice of her to say that. Yeah. yeah. So what is, where does that calm come from? Is that part of what you're doing when you're... <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um... I mean, do I seem calm now? Well, no, because I'm picking up on body language and stuff. But uh, that, that was going to be my other question is you seem calm f- to the listener. Yeah. To me. Are you calm? In what? The tape or in life? In the tape. I mean, it's kind of like if it sounds calm, then the answer just there's no other answer. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. w- whether I'm calm. Eh. No, I mean, I'm prepared. Yeah. So it's kind of like in the making movies, that, that book that Cindy Lamette wrote, mm-hmm. he always talks about you need to come to the set as prepared as possible with a game plan in mind so that when you get to the set, you're willing to throw that game plan away mm-hmm. should the circumstances call for a change. And I... I basically approach the interview the same way i come with a game plan yeah i come with structure i come with notes and sometimes you get into the room and it's like you know what's not gonna work your game plan your structure and your notes Uh and you have to kind of toss that out yeah and meet the moment but i i try to leave my bullshit at the door it's gonna be right there for me when we're done talking <laughs> it's like not it's going not, anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. But it does it can be displaced for an hour. Yeah. So that's kind of how I approach it. Right. 
so you've done you've done all of your research you to feel prepared and to be prepared mm-hmm. um when you're sitting down with someone what is in front of you what are your actual notes i go into the room and i have like my laptop there's a thing that's it's called the brief that has okay. anything our guest has done mm-hmm. that we could find it's in there yeah and then that, and that's a that's on your computer that's you on don't my have computer, a printed but I'm not, out no no so like i don't i don't really look at that though what i have in front of me is um an outline mm-hmm. that's usually like in a three act structure and that's pretty scripted pretty scripted it's pretty scripted but i'll i'll deviate from that early and often yeah um and that's in front of me mm-hmm. so that i have you know most of the beats mapped out yeah and places i know i want to go yeah but that's in front of me like i'm looking yeah. at that and that so like i've worked as a producer primarily i work with a lot of hosts and i see people's documents and everyone does it a little bit differently like mm-hmm. some people will have like every word verbatim and they will read their questions verbatim other people have like a sloppy mess kind of and mm-hmm. that's what works for them uh yeah I'm, what is I'm, yours? I'm more in the first camp okay it is worded it yeah. is scripted but i'll find in the moment that what i've scripted is n- nonsense uh-huh. and i'll just like throw that out uh-huh. and rewrite on the fly but i I, yeah. li- I like to have some of the the verbiage worked out yeah. S- especially w- when we're in you know thorny subjects like i i, I want to make sure i get that right yeah especially if there are uh, like statistics mm-hmm. or quotes that they've given in other interviews i, I don't want to yeah. i don't, I don't want to be looking for that yeah so yeah right i, I have it written out when you're designing that arc, you know, for a working interview, we have like a kind of a narrow objective where it's narrower than a lot of other podcasts where we're like, okay, we're, we're trying to get the guests to tell us how they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And that acts as sort of like a North Star when I'm figuring out what I want to talk to someone about. Um, what is the sort of North Star for Talk Easy? I was just thinking as you were saying that. I was like, that sounds nice. <laughs> to have one? A little North Star. It is nice. Yeah, sounds great. I, there's no grand unifying theory Yeah. that I have. It's different for each guest. Yeah. So depending on the guest we're talking about, I could tell you, but I don't, it's like one of those things like I don't know it until I, I do. It mm. presents itself in the research. Right. And it definitely presents itself by the time we go to the outline. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, the basic answer is I want to capture the essence of the guest. Yeah. And why they do what they do and how they do what they do. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Sometimes we have someone on and they just lost someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's going to be the interview. Like We just had Sarah Silverman on. And you could do an interview that goes something like, what is the state of comedy in these like censored cloistered times? Mm -hmm. You could do that. Mm -hmm. But her dad just died three weeks ago. Yeah. And if you know anything about her, that was like her best friend. Mm -hmm. So to do an interview where we don't talk about that, where it's not kind of the North Star of the interview, to me would be not. 
It would not be an honest snapshot hmm. of who this person is at this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the aim of the show. That's so, the North Star. Yeah, it's who they are right now. Yeah. And when we have guests on that come back, we will often play tapes back to them. Yeah. And you go, oh my God, like with Jenny Slate. We've uh-huh. had her on a few times. Uh-huh. We'll play bits and pieces from the last conversation. Mm. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how different someone is in three years. And also yeah. it's unbelievable how similar they are too. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, that, that, I think that's it. I wanted to ask about that. That is a strategy that I see you use often on the show, a really effective one, which is quoting the guest to the guest, yeah. either from a print interview or audio or something. Um, how did you come across that strategy and what, what does it do for you? I don't, I mean, I don't think I, I, I don't think I invented that. I think. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I think, you know, Terry Gross does a lot of that. Uh-huh. I like to do it because I don't want people to tell the same story of their lives. Mm-hmm. I want people to deviate and to get to something that's probably more truthful. And the way you do that is present them with the past narrative that they've told endless publications. Uh-huh. And once you do that, they have no choice but to tell a new story. Wow. It's counterintuitive, sort of, because it seems like, oh, I'm I'm bringing up this other, like, bringing up something they have already said feels like it's, you're, you're covering territory that's already been covered or something. But that is actually the thing that leads to something that is the opposite of stale. Absolutely. And I imagine the reason people don't do that as much is because they have the same fear that you Mm. just articulated, which is, well, why would I just be covering the same ground? Yeah. But usually with those quotes, there's something in there that I think has not been explored. Mm. And yeah, once you provide that quote and that context, they have to fill it in. Right. With usually a more lived experience and and a life that's like, they want to, they want to share that. Yes. They want to share that. There's no one's asked them. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back with more of Cameron's conversation with Sam Fragoso after this. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Every other Thursday on Working Overtime, we answer listener questions. So please, tell us your creative challenges and let us help you. Drop us a line at working at slate.com. You can, and in fact, we would love you to send us a voice memo to that address, or you can give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Cameron's conversation with Sam Fragoso.
On your 150th episode of Talk Easy, your friend Harrison interviewed you. And you said something very quickly that wasn't really, like, explored that much. Mm. But you said... Look at you. (laughs) I know. I'm, I'm, I'm using one of your tactics here. Talk Easy, me. You said, quote, interviewing lives and dies by the follow-up question. <laughs> what are you looking for when you're looking for a I follow-up? Think, I think that's true. I I still think that's true. Yeah. I'm looking for someone to stop lying. That's oh. what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone to be honest. Uh-huh. That's the whole point of this of this thing is to get to the truth of the matter to get to the essence of the person and what they believe in. And yeah. people say all kinds of things that I think are profoundly untrue. That, uh. that, that I think, I think that people not cause not cause they're malicious. There's not like, they're not nefarious. It's just that we move through this world to move through it. And the easiest way to move through it is to, say the same stuff to say the things Mm. that will get to get you to point A to point B. And so the follow-up question is a way to um, make a pit stop between A and B for me. Yeah. So that's why I think it does live and die with the follow-up question, because how many shows do you listen to and you go, Jesus, they just said three interesting things. Ask about one of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. It drives me nuts. I, so yeah. I mean that—that's why I'm making the show. If yeah. I felt like there was an abundance of other shows that did interviews well, the way I like them, I wouldn't do Talk Easy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't because there are a lot of them. Yeah, there are quite th- a few there out are, there. There's no shortage of shows. Yeah, but there is a shortage of good shows. Yeah, and if I ever felt like the market had a lot of shows that were better. Then I would I would do something else. Yeah. But I don't feel yeah. that way. The because thing, of the follow up question. Yes. And and, and like now you the, ask your follow up question. The thing that you're doing that y- you say others are, are not quite as good at is maybe recognizing the non truths or the putting up a wall or the the answer that you feel like you can pick at to get to something more truthful. I, I, I'm not saying that other people don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't mean I just, don't do, I just do it in my way. Yeah. And I like the way I do it. I don't always like the way I do it. But um, I just want to know how you do it. Like, how are you detecting when someone's not being as forthcoming as you think they are possibly willing to be with some coaxing? It's just funny. It's like, this is how I move through life. Yeah, it's not it's not a gimmick yeah. on the show. Yeah, like I don't walk out of here and go, hmm, can't read people anymore. It's like <laughs> I, I and you it, don't hook them up to a polygraph test where you're like, oh, there's, um, well, I can't confirm or deny that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't we don't have the budget for that. Yeah, one. By the way, people have lied on Talk Easy. Uh huh. People have probably lied on the show, and I didn't even know they were lying. Yeah, I still to this day don't know. Yeah. That they're lying. But also I wanna I wanna move away from like the lying, not lying thing because yeah. like we're not this isn't an interrogation show. We no. talk <laughs> No, it's, it's not. like it's like the show like has a lot of writers 
I mean, we we do we do shows, we do episodes with poets. Yeah. Like there are times when we have a politician on or someone that I think wields a great deal of power that I feel more inclined to push and prod. Yeah. They owe the truth in a different way than a poet does. Yeah, but like when we're talking with someone like a Sarah Silverman, it's not that essential that I continue to prod into her childhood. Yeah. Like, you get what you get. Sometimes you should push further. There's something you think is important or interesting. But if someone goes, I'm good on that. Yeah. Then I'll move on. Yeah. And I tell everyone before, it's like, if I get something wrong, tell me and I'm going to do it again. And if we get to a spot that you don't like, great, let's move on. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. happen that often though, because I can I can usually tell. Yeah, if yeah. someone doesn't like something, like it's not that. Yeah, you know, sometimes they'll they'll say something like, "Let's talk about something else." Yeah, or that was not a good question. Really, you've gotten that was not a good question. I mean, from like one or two guests. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you can't stop Brian De Palma. You know, uh-huh. well, he's gonna say what he's gonna say. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Some Brian De Palma shots. Yeah, he just caught a stray on the working podcast. I, I guess so. Some people are more curmudgeonly. Yeah, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Some course. people you can't convince to be there with you, and that's a bummer. But I'm still gonna watch and love Blowout. Like, I still like Carlito's way. It's okay that yeah he was a little curmudgeonly with me. Yeah, I do wonder what it's like when. When someone's not there with you, I can I I, I usually can fix it. It's you can fix it. I can usually fix it. Yeah, uh-huh. it'll take like twenty five minutes. Fixing it, meaning you'll get them there yeah. with you. Yeah, we have to talk for an hour. Yeah, like it's harder to not be there than it is to be there. Yeah. So like, if your interview with someone is like a twenty minute, thirty minute thing, like I came up when I started doing interviews for, for, for publications, they would give you like seven minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you go, what can be accomplished in seven minutes? And and you learn very quickly, basically nothing. Yeah. But the show, the minimum requirement is that they have to talk for an hour. Yeah. We don't do anything less than that. I won't do anything less than that. Cause yeah. it's just not, it's not going to work. Yeah. So I find that people generally go, I could put up a fight, but the guy seems like vaguely nice and he's clearly done a lot of research. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. When you've demonstrated that you've put a lot of time into something, people want to show up for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier for them when they go into an interview and they see, well, this person hasn't really done a lot of work for this. Then you can be flippant. Yeah. Then you can be dismissive because what are you dismissing? You're dismissing someone not prepared. Yeah. To dismiss someone They're like me, you in the first place, kind of. You're you're an asshole if you yeah. do that. People have guilt. Yeah. I want to ask you about a couple of things that I find challenging as a less experienced interviewer. <laughs> um, I had a mentor describe interviewing in this way one time. He said, "Like your mind." needs to work on two tracks. Uh, Like, on one track, you're listening very, very closely. Mm -hmm. And on the other track, you're kind of deciding where to go next. Maybe you're looking at your notes. 
I find those tracks difficult to manage sometimes. Or when I leave the listening track, I feel like I'm taking my hand off the wheel for a second mm. to like do something else. Uh, how do you manage those tracks? Why is that hard for you? I think it's a multitasking deficiency I have. Like I, uh, <laughs> it is. It's like um, it's hard. Like I am. I can't do two things at the same time, one hundred percent. So no one can. If I'm listening, like multitasking is not real. Like, do people know that by now? I hope so. Like, it makes me feel a lot better. It's not a, that we're it's not a that. real thing. Yeah. When I'm looking at my notes, when I'm thinking about where to go next, mm -hmm. I'm listening a little bit worse. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay? Yeah, there's no way around that. You're not going to be fully present. By the way, people have been, since the beginning of man, tried to be present. Yeah. There are cottage industries around presence. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard not on mic. Yeah. So it's even harder when on mic. Yeah. So you have to give yourself some grace and some credit for trying. That's all you can do is try. Or you could be a hack uh -huh. and just go, I'm going to read these questions. I'm really looking forward to lunch. <laughs> um, can you be quicker and more concise yeah. so that I can go to the five guys downstairs. Yeah. You could do that. And I many could. people in this industry do do that. And they're not good at their job. It makes the follow-ups impossible for one thing. Well, they don't want to do follow-ups. Yeah. You have to remember, like, a lot of people do things they don't like to do for work. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like what I do. Yeah. It is a great joy yeah. That fight to be present, to keep the two tracks going, it's one that I enjoy getting in the ring for. Yeah. And I'm happy to do that. Yeah. And I'll fall short, but I'll fall short at least trying to do something that I think, when it works, is incredible. Yeah. But it's not always going to work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're not going to be able to be fully present. And it's not your job to be. Your job is to guide. Mm. and to show up for the guest. Mm -hmm. And you have to do both simultaneously. Yeah. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, and it's something I've noticed as a listener, that you are really good at getting out of the guest's way. You let them speak, and then you have these moments every once in a while where you do insert yourself, and it's it's wonderful, you come in and you provide some sort of framing where you're almost helping the guest learn about themselves as we are learning about the guest too. Mm. And in fact, I want to listen to a short clip here. Of, really? Um, this is from your interview with Michelle Williams, who was so happy to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You often come back to this line about not exactly knowing where you were going, not being clear about the destination. And yet it dawned on me, and maybe I'm just an outsider looking in, we don't know each other, right? But it dawned on me that like, an 18 year old did know that 
They should go do a strange play by Tracy Letts in New York City at 18 years old in 1999. That means something. That's not a common choice. Thank you. Many people would have done the gun-toting cheerleaders. Thank you. That's all I can say. That's such a kind. That's such a kind um, thing to say to me, and such a kind observation to make. I can only say thank you. So it's not important for the listener to know everything that was being referred to right there. But how do you decide when to jump in with something like that? That that was a good job by you. Oh, yeah, thanks. Good pull. You picked something that doesn't happen in every episode uh-huh. because it doesn't need to happen in every episode. Right. But sometimes the guest requires it. And what you're hearing there is me basically taking Michelle Williams and just kind of like, I mean this truly, it was a virtual interview. Yeah. Oh. So I'm I'm like shaking her a little bit. Yeah. And I'm saying like, you're all right. Uh-huh. Stop being so fucking hard on yourself. Life is really hard. Yeah. And I'm just giving her the permission to go, I'm all right. Yeah. And sometimes you need to do that because we're not always great at seeing how we move through the world. And I think you sometimes need an an outside source to collect the information and to say, however you're feeling in this moment, it's totally valid and, and fair. And you can be hard on yourself. But the decisions that she made in that case, there were choices made that a young artist who could have given up at every turn had something in them to go, I need to do this project. I need to move to this city. Yeah. And she wasn't giving herself credit. Right. And I was willing to cross the line from interviewer to human being mm-hmm. to say, no, you ought to give yourself some credit. Yeah. And there are some schools of journalism that will say, that's crossing a line. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your job to answer for the guest. Yes. Kind and of. I think that's... That's fine. People can do it like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to be a person with, with someone. Mm-hmm. And I have found that if I show up as a human being, defects and all, that they're more willing to be themselves, defects and all. Mm-hmm. I don't know Michelle Williams. Yeah. Never met her in my life. But my heart broke in pockets of that conversation. And maybe there are some journalists that go your heart can break but don't put it on mic don't show them your cards fuck that that's a waste of time to me we are going to die and i'm not going to get to the end of this and go god if only i played it tighter closer to the chest with me give me a break it's not that important yeah what's important is that you show up for someone and the only way i know how to do that is to show up for them and that means like i'm not going to have that barrier yeah and that's a great poll that you that you had there because that's some that was a hard moment yeah but it completely opened the interview 
Yeah. The moment I said that, listen to the tape. For anyone who like wants to hear that episode, it's one of my favorites. It's a really good one. Yeah. After I said that, the floodgates opened. Yeah. And we got to what matters to her. Yeah. And sometimes the person needs permission. Yeah. Sometimes you need to tell the person, you're all right. Yeah. Does it always work? No. Is it always required? Definitely not. I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm saying it's my way. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I feel like you did for her what you did for me when you said, you're not going to listen 100% and that's okay. Yeah. Or you have just one human brain and I shouldn't beat myself up about it. Um, that was the aim. I that, mean, I don't know if it will help. I hope it does. It does. Or I, I'm just calling attention to the fact that that can like bring down the temperature or like it, it really feels like, t- like tension is released in that moment when, mm-hmm. when you give that gift to someone. The same way that the tension was released when you played the, the Michelle Williams clip. Because mm-hmm. it made me feel like, oh, he really listens. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants that. Yeah. Like, that's why we do these things. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're doing a good job. Thanks. You all right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, What's going on? No, nothing. I <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I I became emotional for a second there. Um, what, what were you going to just now? I was like, I was just flashing back to the, um, like what I was doing when I was preparing for this interview, like listening to lots of episodes of the show. And you were like in my living room with me and I was spending a lot of time with you because I like, I think your work is valuable. And I don't know, like when you said that in that moment, I was, I just felt like that was the right thing to do. I was like spending my time in a meaningful way and I, I focus on the nerves a lot of the time, you know, that crowds out my enjoyment of things sometimes. You you don't do this work. There is no way of doing good work without those nerves. Because if you don't have the nerves, then like, you're not really putting anything into the table here. Like, you're not yeah. investing much. You're only nervous about things you care about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it, the nerves, you have to find some way to reframe why they're there. They're there because you care. Yeah. And so long as you know that, then at some point you're able to put that down to keep them at bay enough, you know, to do the interview. Because like I said, we're going to walk out your shit's going to come right back to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going anywhere. Yeah, that's but, true. But, you know, I think that's good to feel nervous. It's good to feel anxious. It means you care. It does. And it does. The, yeah. the, there's nothing, I think there's nothing sadder than folks who wade through life n- never really feeling that in the things that they spend their time doing. Yeah. And not everyone... And that's okay. Like, not, not 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 everyone wants that kind of life, right. where they pour themselves into the work yeah. or career. Yeah. But I don't know. I like it. Yeah. It works for me. Sam Fragoso, thanks for coming on. Working. Cameron Drews, 
pleasure. When we come back, Cameron and I will dig deeper into the idea that nerves or even anxiety can help an artist do better work. First, Cameron, that was a really, really lovely conversation to listen in on. As someone who conducts about 20 of these on mic conversations with a stranger every year, I learned a lot, especially about the need to make an emotional connection with a guest and not to be embarrassed Mm. about trying to do that. Like it really helps you get things from people that are interesting and revealing. I was also really touched by your interaction with Sam about the anxiety you were feeling in the interview, which really felt like it was the anxiety of still feeling like you have room to improve in a particular skill. Um, Correct. I I was reminded of a quote from Ira Glass. Uh, He said, All of us who do creative work, like, you know, we get into it and we get into it because we have good taste. And you get into this thing that, that I don't even know how to describe, but it's like there's a gap that for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good, okay? It's not that great. It's, it's really not that great. It's, it's trying to be good. It has ambition to be good, but it's not quite that good. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell that what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? Like you can tell that it's still sort of crappy. Okay. Thank you, Ira. Now... I want to be clear, first of all, Cameron, that you are not a beginner. As everyone who just heard that interview knows, you're a really sensitive, graceful interviewer. And as anyone who regularly listens to the show knows, you're an amazing producer and editor. But you've listened to a lot of interviews. You've heard the very best stuff. And after that, it's hard to feel confident that you're living up to your own high standards. But I agree with Sam that the most important thing is to give a damn, even if that does up the anxiety level. So with a week or so of distance since you had that conversation, have you had any more thoughts about what you were feeling at that point in the interview? Do you agree that nerves can be a kind of positive indicator and can help people do better work? Yeah, I have had time to think about it. And I think the thing that really got me was just that moment when he said he thought I was doing a good job. And when I was preparing for this interview, that's what I was worried about. That's where the anxiety is, is Mm. will I do a good job? Will I not do a good job? And I think what you're hearing there, bringing it back to the Ira Glass thing, Mm. is you're hearing in real time my work living up to my taste or like I'm feeling like, like that's happening in the moment, which just doesn't happen very often. And (laughs) I think I was, I was overwhelmed by that. And, um, you know, I've done interviews before. This isn't my first one. And often I walk away and I think that was okay, but it wasn't my best. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're right. I know what an A plus interview sounds like. Yeah. And I know I know when I've done a B or a B minus interview. And and knowing the difference is important. But I think I think this letter grade thing <laughs> can be yeah. can be the cause of anxiety. Yes. This is the thing. Is yes. like it's a it's a give and take uh, because this can lead to perfectionism and getting your standards 
sky high. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what creates anxiety in the moment. And anxiety in the moment will sabotage you. Yeah. Like it it will mess you up. Yeah. Um, anxiety is is a self-conscious thing. And when you're in an interview scenario, you can't be thinking about you. You have to be listening. You have to be present. So what I tried to do before this interview was, you know, I, I, I told myself I'm going into this thing prepared. Yep. And I'm going to be present mm-hmm. and I'm going to listen when Sam is talking. And if something goes a little wrong, that's okay. But if yeah. I have those bases covered, I think it's much harder to fail spectacularly. And then once it's over, you can go back and be like, that was a B minus. But <laughs> don't think this is a B minus. Oh, shit. Yeah. In the middle. No. If you can help it. Yeah, I get that. But. Cameron, you are a producer, and that mm-hmm. means you hear everything. You hear the unvarnished truth, all the interviewers' faults and bad techniques, <laughs> and then you get to fix them. Thank you so much. Um, but what do we yeah. get wrong? What do we do wrong? And having listened to so many interviews, do you think that there's anything a host can do when a guest just isn't giving them anything, either because they're nervous or they've done too many interviews on a particular topic or... Maybe they're just dull. I mean, what can you do? Can you, is there any, I just want a magic formula, Cameron. Give it to me. <laughs> Normally, I, I would have absolutely nothing for you <laughs> if you asked me this a month ago. But I feel like I, I've sort of, in all of my research and the time I've spent with Sam, I feel like I've taken a little course on interviewing <laughs> wow. or something. Wow. Uh, I'm going to try to answer this. I mean, it, it's really hard. As a producer, I see it all the time when, like, you know, the the guest isn't quite giving the host what the host wants and the mm. tape just isn't very good as far as, like, what to do about that, <laughs> using what I've learned over the past two weeks. Like, I guess you want to be as patient as possible. Yeah. Even say, like, take your time. You know, mm. um, I think if Sam were answering this question, I don't want to speak for him, but based on what I have learned about how he does these things, like he might say, like, go ahead and and ask them why they're getting stuck. Yeah. In, in a polite way. Yeah. Just sort of, you know, find the tension and and like interrogate it a little bit. Interrogates the wrong word. Gently investigate it yeah that was how i felt in the presence of sam whenever (laughs) i like expressed some sort of anxiety or something he'll just be like what what's going on (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you know like tell me what like what what are you going through um if there's a way that you can do that and you've sort of established a, a setting or environment with the guest where you're comfortable doing something like that, Mm -hmm. that might work. I don't know. Am I making sense? You totally are. Yes, you absolutely (laughs) are. I think, yeah, I mean, making them feel comfortable, making them, like, just reducing as much anxiety on their part as you can. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's the only thing you can do, I think. Now, I guess I have to address your other question where I critique the working (laughs) hosts live on mic. Uh, I'll, I'll narrow in on just one thing that is like, like every host I work with has 
problems with this a little bit. You know, one thing I do a lot of as a producer is I cut questions down. The raw questions can be kind of long. And I have been thinking hard about what's going on there. And I think one thing is all four people who have hosted working are really polite Ruman, Karen, you, and Isaac are all like really polite. And I think politeness leads to longer questions with little qualifying phrases that are like, maybe this is a silly question, or like, I bet you get asked this a lot, or like things that sort of like pad it out that almost apologize for the question yeah. as the question is happening. Um, you're also all critics. So mm. sometimes there is like, you guys have all these smart ideas that are sometimes folded into the question. Sometimes there's all this like brilliant analysis <laughs> that is great. And sometimes I leave it in there. And sometimes I listen to the whole thing and I'm like, we just need the question. <laughs> like I'm going to get rid of all of the brilliance and make way for the guest a little bit. Yeah. And and there's one final thing that I've noticed recently. I think I think this has been a thing forever, but I just recently sort of like identified it and put a name to it, which is the tendency that hosts have to start answering the question for the guest. Yeah. So say the question is, what's your favorite color? Right. The host will be like, so what's your favorite color? Is it like, are you kind of a blue person or are we more on the red, orange side of the spectrum? Like like don't do any of that you don't need that don't give them like a multiple choice question all you need is what's your favorite color and then stop silence and then see what they do with the silence and they'll maybe they'll say some color you've never heard of before (laughs) or something like and then uh, and then you pounce in with a follow-up question i have to tell you cameron there are two i have two thoughts about that the first thing is uh number one that's a really good point that I hear a lot, and it's some, it's a reason that I think hosts should always listen to their shows, mm, or should mm-hmm. always listen to their interviews. Because I, first, of, the second point I wanted to make, I did that at the top of the show. I said, "Why is Sam so good? Is it because of this? Is it because of that?" Uh, and I heard myself <laughs> do it as I as it was coming out of my mouth. Um, ah. But I think that's something that you can be aware of and you can stop doing. But if you don't have an awareness like a lot of things it, it it feels like a natural way to speak it feels you know like you're helping them but you're not you're yeah. not helping them at all you're just getting in the way so uh, yeah i i fully i fully hear you and i will i will take that on board all right all right that's all the time we have for today's show and just a reminder that slate plus members get to hear exclusive segments entire bonus episodes of shows like slow burn and big mood little mood and they get full access to all the wonder that is slate.com you can sign up today at slate.com slash working plus thank you to sam fragoso for being our guest this week and extra thanks to my favorite producer cameron drews who as you have all just heard is also an amazing host and interviewer thank you june Uh, Another quick thank you to Emily Cherish for engineering this interview. It was a huge help. Thank you, Emily. We'll be back next week with June's conversation with Talia Lempert, an artist who specializes in portraits of bicycles. Until then, get back to work.